This episode is brought to you by Blue Blocks, who are the original science-backed brand providing fashionable Australian-made blue light management and red light therapy products as seen in Vogue, GQ and L. Jess, I have a quick science lesson for you. So the sun is the most natural source of blue light and rather cleverly, our brains use the light from the sun to regulate our body clocks. When the sun starts to set, this signals to our brains to start producing melatonin, which prepares us for sleep. However, with more and more artificial blue light products in our everyday lives, this quite understandably confuses the F out of our brains. Enter Blue Blocks. They have a range of products which filter down harmful artificial blue light, which come from sources like our phones, laptops, tablets, TVs, and even LED light bulbs. In fact, Harvard University found that too much exposure to blue light not only disrupts our sleep, but can increase our risk of multiple health issues. Our favourite product of Blue Blocks is the Lumi Clip Sleep Plus, which is the most perfect reading light, particularly before bread. Its red light is not only easy on the eye, but can be proven to stimulate melatonin production, which improves sleep. Hurrah! It perfectly clips to your book, it's rechargeable and the light is easy to manoeuvre. It's been a real game changer. It's a perfect size and super lightweight, which means you can have it on you wherever you go, whether you're travelling, using to read before bed, or even just need to get up in the middle of the night and don't want to turn on an overhead light. Their website is great and breaks down all the science behind their products. So head to blueblocks.com and use code BOOKRECOS15 for 15% off all their products. That's B-L-U-B-L-O-X.com and use code BOOKRECOS15 for 15% off. Thank you, Blue Blocks. Welcome to Book Crackos Between the Pages. I'm Jess. And I'm Lauren. And we're the pals behind Book Crackos. This is the podcast where we chat all things books and just about everything in between. On today's episode, we are so excited to be joined by Bonnie Thomas on her debut novel, Lessons in Chemistry, which is out now. It's a feminist story set in the 1960s with an amazing protagonist, Elizabeth Zott, who's a chemist-turned-cooking show host, and it's so good. It's already been picked up by Apple and will be on our screen soon. Welcome to the Book Crackos podcast, Bonnie. We're both big fans of Lessons in Chemistry, so we're absolutely thrilled to have you here with us today. Well, it's, it's my complete pleasure to be here today, so thank you for, for inviting me. <laughs> so welcome. Um, so we're going to publish this episode on Publication Day, which means that Lessons in Chemistry is available to purchase everywhere. Very exciting. So would you mind starting by telling us in your own words what exactly the book is about? Uh, you know, it's so funny. It's, uh, there, I always have this little moment of terror, like, what is the book about? Um, <laughs> but it's, it's about a woman named Elizabeth Zott, who's a brilliant chemist in the late 50s, early 1960s, who is fired from her job for the crime of being pregnant and goes on to become the TV cooking show host, a, a big star of this show that she has no desire to be part of. Um, And the reason why her show becomes popular is for sort of a a strange reason. When she gets on the show, she decides that she is not going to cater to what her producers have asked her to do. Instead, she's going to teach the housewives at home chemistry because cooking is chemistry. And that's what she knows. But when she does that, she reminds all these women at home of how capable they are and how smart they are. And so instead of the show just being about supper, 
It's really about personal empowerment. I love that so much. (laughs) Honestly, like I'm just sat here smiling like a Cheshire cat because I I don't know, there's just something about this book that's just so special and draws you in. And this is your first novel, isn't it? That's right, isn't it, Bonnie? It's it's my first, I'll say, it's my first accepted novel. It's my first novel that, (laughs) you know, that... That an agent would read so yeah it's yeah it's my, well, my congratulations first thank you um, and and I think before this you your background's in copywriting isn't it so, yeah yeah so what inspired you then to to write this book well you know copywriting's funny I think a lot of people think copywriters write you know buy one get one free but my copywriting <laughs> experience was very different um I was working more on big campaigns and and speeches and things like that um and doing that means that every single day you tell a new story to somebody. Uh, copywriting is storytelling. It's much shorter, though, than a novel. It turns out a novel is like running 10 marathons in a row, um, <laughs> which I hadn't quite realized how difficult it is. Um, but yeah, so I decided the novel started because I was in a bad mood. Um, I'd had a really bad day at work, and I'd been in a meeting where um, a man had kind of decided to take credit for my ideas. And uh, I got I got pretty angry, to be honest. And when I went back to my desk to work, I felt like Elizabeth Zott was sitting there with me. And she had been a character, a minor character in a novel that I'd started and shelved years before. But that mm-hmm. day, I, I just felt her sitting there. And I wrote the first lesson, the first chapter of Lessons in Chemistry that day. Oh, wow. That's amazing. That's no surprise to me that you were in a bad mood when you wrote it, because this... <laughs> Like certain sections made me furious. And like, how great is that that a book can make you feel so yeah. strongly? Because it also then made me feel so happy in moments and so sad in moments. But honestly, the fury was like so, so there. Um, and I'd love to talk a bit more about Elizabeth Zott. Yeah. She's she's one of those characters who I know is just going to stay with me. She's so fierce, intelligent. She knows her own mind. She's brutally honest. Um, to the point that some of her comments just made me laugh out loud. <laughs> and although that's not unusual for books today, Elizabeth is a woman of the 60s. So her personality rubs a lot of people up, well, mostly men, <laughs> the wrong way. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so was your intention for this to be a feminist book? And I know you've just mentioned there that there was one specific incident that sparked this for you, but have you included <laughs> any other incidences that you've experienced of gender inequality in the book? Oh, yeah, I think my whole life has been one uh, revolving, never ending episode of gender equality, inequality. And I think that is so true for so many women. But I set the book then one, because when I was sitting there that day, I wanted to really convince myself that things had improved Mm -hmm. from the 1960s. And they really have. But the other reason why I said it then was because that's when my mom was a mom. And it made me look back at her life and see what kind of limitations she and all of her friends lived under and how, how they were just dismissed outright as capable women. They were just average housewives. Yeah. And in fact, they weren't average at all. <laughs> so that's why I kind of wanted to write it to salute those women who gave up everything to raise, luckily, a generation of feminists. And uh, I just wanted to carry the torch for them a little bit further before, you know, we're passing yes. it on. <laughs> that's amazing. And- and like almost exposing some of the women who 
were just seen as housewives but exposing them for their like enormous capabilities like some of my favorite parts of the book are when um Elizabeth is filming um and she like sort of takes questions from the audience and you get to hear (laughs) from these like really brave courageous women in the audience who are like starting like you can see that the curtain's starting to lift for them and I just love the way that Elizabeth's mind works like she is a scientist there's no doubt about that and the way she understands things is by looking at them through this very scientific lens so for example she explains the reasons she loves cooking like you said because it's basic chemistry it's chemistry it's bringing ingredients together and to create a reaction Um, and as Jess said Elizabeth is very pragmatic but she almost takes like a scientific approach to falling in love would you say um, could you talk to us a little bit about that side to Elizabeth's personality? Because I think it's fascinating. Well, I think, you know, for Elizabeth, she'd had a tough childhood and I think she felt unloved most of her life. She, she's a misfit. She doesn't mm-hmm. fit in because she is so scientific. She's very rational. And we live in an irrational society now, but she lived in an irrational society then that was judging people based on gender, race, et cetera, as we still do today. And um, I think for her to fall in love, she had to find somebody um, who, you know, for, with whom she had chemistry, for lack of a better <laughs> word. And chemistry is, is actually chemical. Love is actually chemical. There are uh, lots of stages to love. Of course, there are hormones involved at all stages of love, but they, they keep switching, you know. So first, of course, there are the lust hormones of mm-hmm. testosterone and, and estrogen, but then there are also these other things that, that kick in as you find someone that you can actually talk to, your body starts producing uh, vasopressin and things like that. And it's sending you these signals. This person understands yeah. you. This person's listening to you. And so that's why, um, you know, it's really interesting to me. But that is actually when somebody will like, I don't know, somebody will say, oh, I went out with this guy and he seems really nice. But, <laughs> you know, your body's saying you better listen yeah. to the butt there for a minute. <laughs> yeah. um, uh, your, 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 your brain is telling you something else. The chemicals that are being produced are saying, are you being accepted for who you are? Yeah. Like the little red flags in the brain <laughs> starting to wave. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Oh, I feel like I learned loads about chemistry in this book and I loved it. Um, did you already know loads about chemistry? Like you're not a chemist, are you? Did you have to learn I, it for the book? Yeah, I did. I had to learn it. I, I had been a science writer a billion years ago, um, only okay. for a few years, but I had, I just decided she, I knew she had to be a chemist because of cooking. And I bought a used chemistry textbook from the fifties off of eBay. And okay. I taught myself basic chemistry. And, you know, I want to say that it was easy. It wasn't, but it was a little bit more fun than I thought. Um, you know, I got to do experiments and things like that. Yeah. And, okay. you know, it, it is true. You can really teach yourself things. I mean, I, I don't want to go in a lab and do anything. I, I blow <laughs> it up. But, but uh, um, no, it was really great. So that's how I did it. Oh, wow. Old that's textbook. amazing. Yeah. <laughs> I love that you went for one that was off the time yeah, as well. Just, not an up-to-date. So I imagine great. It, chemistry's probably evolved 
in it has, how, yeah. you know, it has since the 50s and 60s so there must have been that line of like oh god did we know that back then or what did we call that back then so that was um, that was exactly it I just I had to keep throwing things out because they were did you? anachronisms <laughs> yeah because you you cannot google uh chemistry without getting a current yes yeah. exactly so yeah I mean I can't tell you how many times I go oh I've got the greatest metaphor and I go through it and I go oh this part, this, this reaction wasn't discovered till 1972. So now I can't <laughs> use it. You know, it was really discouraging some days. But anyway, yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so a character that I really, really need to talk about is 630. <laughs> Yay! Oh, <not> 6:30. <laughs> so for anyone who hasn't read it yet, um, lesson, uh, lessons in chemistry yet, 630 is Elizabeth's dog. But he is so much more than a dog. At times I forgot that he wasn't a person because Elizabeth (laughs) has trained him to understand, is it like 900 words in the end? Yeah. Yeah. How did this, you know, as you did, but I really felt like he was a human and I loved it. Um, How did the idea come to you? Um, 630 is the only character in the book who's actually based on a real live being. 630 was based. No, I know. No. Okay. I had a dog. I had a dog named Friday and Friday has passed, passed on, but um, we adopted her from a shelter where she'd been, she'd been very badly abused in her former life. Um, And I I wasn't really excited about adopting this dog. Um, She looked horrible. Um, she, she, I don't know. She just didn't seem, but my kids picked her out oh. in the shelter. Oh, she's so cute. No, oh, okay. <laughs> so we took her home, but it turned out that she was, I mean, I think she might've been brilliant. Um, she, I, it wasn't like we set out to teach her language. We, yeah. we taught her some commands, but she would always listen to us. And pretty soon she memorized words on her own. So she knew words like key keys like if I couldn't find my keys I could say I can't find my keys and she would rush off and check pockets and bags for me because that's what she'd seen me do oh my gosh yeah yeah um I had this car with you know a push button ignition and I remember uh sitting in the car with her one day and I said we've got to get started and she pushed the ignition I mean, so, so yeah, she did funny things like that. And then we were transferred abroad to Germany and, you know, within about a year, I realized she understood German. She understood some of the words in German. I don't know if she picked it up from other dogs. She knew her, her name in German was Freitag. She always responded to that. Um, So she knew all these things. And so she didn't know probably as much as 630, but it made me realize how, how we really do underestimate. And, yeah, and just as she, we do women. Oh uh, yes, yes, exactly, <laughs> exactly. So, so she was really an inspiration to me, and that's why she's in the book at six thirty. It really makes my dog ninety nine mad, but that's how it goes. So you <laughs> have I a cannot, dog ninety nine as well. That <laughs> I cannot tell you how happy I am that of all the characters. Yes, this same. one is based on a real clever dog. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah same, <laughs> yeah. because there were there, there was a point in the book where I had to, like, catch myself because I think there's a, like, Elizabeth obviously trains 6.30 with so many words, and at one point I think Mad is like, where's my yo-yo? And then yeah, a minute yeah. later, like, 6.30, <laughs> like, strolls in with a yo-yo in his mouth and puts it at Mad's feet. And I was like, this is, like... It's it sort of like toes the line between like magical and real life. And there was a point where I was like, 
God, it's just done so well that I've never questioned it up until this point. Like it was, yeah, 6.30, hands down, favorite character, 10 out of 10. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) You know, I should tell you, there was a dog written up in the New York Times who knew far more words than 6.30. This dog knew over a thousand words. Oh my goodness. Yeah, and this was documented, scientifically documented. Um, And so he could recognize, his name is Casper, I think. I think he was a border collar, but he could recognize... You know, you could say, go get blank, and he would go get it. Go get it. Wow. Um, so, so dogs are definitely underestimated. I think, <laughs> yes. you know, we have a lot of room for exploration. There. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah. So as well as 6.30, your book also has this beautiful exploration of friendship. Um, and I'd say Elizabeth starts to acknowledge that not, there comes a point in the book where she acknowledges that not everything in her life can be done on her own. Um, she sort of prides herself as this character, who's, uh, as this person who's very independent. And um, you get the impression that she's never wanted to have to rely on other people. Yeah. Um, but then she starts to learn to row, um, mm-hmm. which is like a team sport. Yeah. And then she mothers a child, her child mad as well, yeah. which is quite a, a lonely experience for many women in the 60s and Elizabeth mm-hmm. in particular. And that's yeah. when Harriet enters the <laughs> book and you've got this absolutely beautiful friendship. Um, so tell us a little bit about Harriet and the role that you saw her, like, or the value you saw her playing and giving well, to the I- book. I, you know, Elizabeth was basically friendless. And like you say, she really didn't want to need anybody. And then, you know, you have a child and you go, oh my God, this is, this is a lot harder than people think it's going to be. And I think for me, Harriet represented not only friendship, but empathy and understanding, but she also, you know, she thought Elizabeth was pretty weird too. You know, she, um, (laughs) yeah. And yeah, and they, they, they completely bonded over the fact that they'd both been maligned, that, that they had both been sold a bill of goods um, from, for Harriet was her magazines, you know, she was supposed to have this great life according to all these magazines with these articles that would say, all you have to do is X. And, and it hadn't happened for her. And for Elizabeth, she thought all she had to do was become the best science scientist that she could be. And you know, science is logical. So obviously gender wouldn't figure into that. And she was wrong too. So the two women come together generationally, they're, they're mm-hmm. year decades apart. Um, their experiences are, are very much opposite. And, you know, I think I really wanted to have Harriet impart this kind of wisdom, kind of funny wisdom to, to Elizabeth. She just keeps rejecting, you know, <laughs> uh, but, but also to have Harriet see that that Elizabeth was going to take her seriously and no one had ever taken Harriet seriously. And so their friendship starts from there. Mm. It's such a beautiful friendship, Harriet. I love that she just like swoops in and is like, (laughs) this is how it's going to be now. Like I just adored her. Um, And just so many moments of the book, I was like, God, I'm having so much fun reading about the TV show. Oh my God, I'm having so much fun reading about the family life at home. And, and I wondered, did you have a favorite scene or chapter that you wrote? You know, I have a lot of favorite scenes. I like, <laughs> I, I really love the scene that you had mentioned earlier about the women in the audience asking questions, Yeah, you know, and they're just sort of, they're awakening right then mm. to their potential. Um, but I, 
I love this one chapter. I know it's kind of weird. It's the one chapter that's written from Hastings management point of view, where they're just they're just ha- they're having to reconcile the fact that their their research institute is full of idiots, and uh, and they can't let anyone know, of course, outside. But certainly, that's how you know a lot of corporations are. You know, it's not like every single person is brilliant, um, and so they they're they're just absolutely beside themselves. They don't know what they're going to do. Um, because they certainly don't want Elizabeth Zott to think that she's special. So I, I've always liked that one. But yeah, I have a lot of scenes. I love when Calvin and, and Elizabeth really talk for the first time and, um, mm-hmm. and you know, how they kind of secretly, they said, I don't want a relationship. I'm not in, you know, not in the market. And then they both really, really yeah. do. So. Oh, there are there are so many brilliant scenes. I also love how um, Elizabeth ends all of her TV shows with children set the table. Your mother needs a minute to herself, or something along <laughs> yeah. those lines. I was like, yeah, it's just so it just lands so well. Yeah. Um, but there's also we talk about the '60s and how it was a very challenging time for women. Um, either women who were at home looking after the family or women pursuing careers. But there are a number of, well, there's one character in particularly who's a a real ally, a male ally to Elizabeth. And I think it's important that he gets a little bit of a spotlight here as well, because um, he's such a good friend to Elizabeth as in much the same way that Harriet is. So could you talk to us a little bit about about him? Yeah. You, you mean Walter Pine or do you mean Wakely? I mean, there are two, there are two men. I (laughs) I guess. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. I think Walter Pine is one of my most favorite characters and I loved writing him because you know, he's a good man with a mm. big heart, but he's stuck, like I think many men are, in a job where he's expected to be this very aggressive bully. Yeah. And he's expected to manage that way. And it's just not in his personality to do that. Um, nevertheless, he hires Elizabeth Zott, and then she makes his life a living hell because <laughs> she won't follow his instructions. And, you know, the thing I loved about him was that he never enforced what he was supposed to do with her, even though it was about to cost him his job. He respected her that much. Um, Even though she was just torturing him, he just put up with it because he respected her. (laughs) Yeah. And it's funny because when you first meet him at the beginning of the book, he's like, he almost comes across as a bit, stupid yeah <laughs> he's like mouth agape really slow to take things in I was like what is this guy on and then as the book um like carried on you just you you create a little space in your heart for him he's he's um such a such a lovely character um so for anyone I mean obviously this is your first published book but mm-hmm. for anyone who is listening and they are inspired to write a book or they have a vision of one day writing a book but have no idea where to start, what advice would you give to them? Well, I'll tell you what advice I won't give. I know most people say, write what you know, um, and I never write what I know. Um, I always think it's, a, it's really, you, you, need to be, you need to surprise yourself when you're writing. So if you're just writing what you know, there will be no surprise in that book. Yeah. Um, but if you can learn something new while you're writing, your book will sparkle a little bit more. It'll have more oomph to it. So I, I highly suggest that. Um, but I also want to say to anybody who's out there querying or going through the, the terrible process of rejection, 
you know, I was there too. I was in the trenches. I got re rejected 98 times on my, my other novel. I know what it's like. You just have to shrug it off. And you should also always, when you're writing, write with confidence. You have a good story to tell. Forget about anyone sitting on your shoulder telling you you're not good enough. You are. Just write it. Oh, I love that. Mike shot. Yeah. <laughs> and one of our favorite questions to ask, because it's kind of like getting a behind the scenes glimpse, is um, what was the publishing process like? Because this is your first book and it's also already been commissioned by Apple for is it a series, right? Yes, yes. Oh my yes. gosh. Congrats. Yes, yeah, that was the whole publishing uh, experience was probably a little, I guess, extraordinary, you know. Uh, I, I certainly didn't ever expect it to be this big when I was telling my friends, a few friends that I was writing a novel and they'd say, oh, what's it about? And I'd say, well, it's about a chemist and I, she teaches chemistry on cooking. And they just sort of look at me like, wow, do not quit your day job. <laughs> you know, that does not sound very good. Um, but yeah, the, it just shocked me. I'm sure it shocked my agent. We had no idea it would be this big and that it would be fought over in auctions and things. And then it wow. was. And then suddenly Hollywood swoops, swoops in. And then Brie Larson says, let me be Elizabeth Zott. And, you know, it's just one after the other. So it, it's been a constant whirlwind, um, kind of an unbelievable journey. I'm really afraid I'm going to wake up soon. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That is yeah. so amazing. And so will you be working on, because I know script writing is completely different. Will you be involved in that? Well, you know, I've done a lot of script writing and advertising, but all only, you know, 20 minute pieces or five minute pieces. Um, but no, I'm, I'm not doing the script on this. They have a writer's room. Um, we have two really good uh, showrunners who are writers. Mm -hmm. And so I know, you know, they're under tremendous pressure to adapt this book. Um, but they're doing it and it's starting to shoot in July of this year. Oh my gosh. So and it will be, yeah, July through November is when they're hoping to shoot. And then it will be on Apple TV in 2023, somewhere around July or August or so. Cannot yeah. wait. Oh my well, gosh, congrats. That's uh, incredible. Thank you. Yeah, and Free Larson, I can so imagine her yes, playing Elizabeth. Yeah. Now you've said yeah. it, I'm like, oh, of course. Obviously. Like. <laughs> <laughs> um, slightly rogue question, but this is a question that Jess and I ask each other all the time. Um, but there, so you've got three covers for your book, haven't you? I think. I, I think I've got. I, I there's a different one for Italy there's a different oh, was one that? For, there's, okay. yeah 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 but what we would love to know like for example like very for similar markets like the US and the UK they have very different covers and I also don't know which one is my favorite because I like both but what what is the reasoning behind that and I don't know if if you're if you know but I just thought I'd yeah no I mean I think the publishers try to appeal to what they think will work in their particular market yeah um for for me you know I I'll be honest I absolutely adore the German cover I think that woman on the cover is Elizabeth Zott. Yeah. she has that confidence she she looks like her to me in my head that's who I yeah. was envisioning uh -huh. and so I I absolutely adore that and that said I know you know the British cover is also just absolutely gorgeous and I love yeah. the colors everything they did so I think I think actually, though, you know, you kind of have to give everybody in their market their expertise. They know their audiences. Yeah. Um, I come from the background of advertising. So for me, I see a book cover. 
it's an ad. It should yes. absolutely define what's inside that book. And I think I think the Germans kind of nailed that one. Um, <laughs> uh, but I but I again I I also love I mean I love everybody who's worked on these covers and I think they've all worked really hard. So I'm amazing. I'm I'm good. I'm good. Yeah. Well, we might do a poll on our stories. Good see, one. See which see which one lands the best for our yes. followers. I already know who's going to win. <laughs> <laughs> well, especially if people listen to this first and they'll be like, well, I have to. Yeah, yeah, right, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I have loved this so much, almost as much as reading the book itself. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and we'll let you go about your day because you must be so busy this week. But before we do, oh, yeah. um, mm-hmm. we wondered if you could share with our listeners a reco for a book you've read recently that they should all read. Oh, yeah. Oh, gosh. Okay. I will tell you, this book comes out in June, though. Does that count? That's yeah, fine. Absolutely. Okay. People can pre-order. It's good. It's called The Second Sight of Zachary Cloudsley. It's by Sean Lusk. And it is written, he is very literary, which is something I admire. His writing is impeccable. It's the most elegant tale. It's somewhere between Dickens and Harry Potter and, <laughs> and Fitzgerald. Uh, I think it's one of the best books I've read, not just this year, but in a very long time. And I, I just adored it. Amazing. Wow. We'll definitely put that in the yeah. show notes for everybody. <laughs> yeah. um, Bonnie, thank you so much for your time. It's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you today. Thank and you, Mutual. Again, congratulations on such an incredible book. And listeners, go out and get your coffee on Lessons in Chemistry. <laughs> Thanks, you guys. I really love being here. We give you a chance to win an April Books the Best Box. Theme is reading K-drama and includes a beautiful tote bag, a snack and some Korean skincare goodies. There are two ways to enter. If, like me, you listen on Apple Podcasts, and subscribe, leave a rating and review and use your Instagram handle as your nickname on the review. Or if, like me, you listen on Spotify or anywhere else, then follow the podcast on that platform and share a screenshot on your Instagram story tagging at Book Records being sent an entry that way. Entries for the April box close on Monday the 25th of April and the winner will be announced on our Instagram on Wednesday the 27th of April. If you're listening to this at a later date, then don't worry, it's a monthly competition, so still enter and we'll count your entry towards whatever box it is at the time. Thank you so much for listening. See you next week.